You're listening to Builder Funnel Radio. This is the Building a Family Business Show with Wes and Brooks Powell. Let's dive in. The Powell family construction business has been around for over 110 years. Over that time, it's evolved and been through four generations of the Powell family. What started as a new construction business building spec homes in the Seattle area evolved to building communities, remodeling, building custom homes, and then getting involved with property management. Today, the business currently owns and operates two retirement and assisted living facilities, several apartment buildings, and does third-party property management in the Seattle area with about 750 total doors under management. Over the last several decades, Wes and Brooks have seen it all when it comes to business evolution, family dynamics in the construction industry. This is the show where I work to extract their knowledge and experiences to help you navigate family dynamics, among other things, in your construction business. Let's dive into the show. Happy clients, more profits, less stress. That's the trifecta of the construction business. We all want that, right? Well, after working and talking with hundreds of builders and remodelers over the past two years, BuildBook has discovered the one common ingredient that determines the success of your construction business, the client experience. Yes, if you drop the ball anywhere in the client experience from the first impression to the final payment, things get super messy super quickly. BuildBook has spent the past several months developing the first-of-its-kind platform that focuses on helping you deliver throughout the client journey the one thing standing between you and achieving the trifecta of construction. It starts with marketing tools to attract the right leads, add in sales tools so you can win the best projects, and finish with project tools that knock your client's socks off. If you're looking for an unfair advantage in your business, this is it. Head on over to buildbook.co now to try it free for yourself. That's buildbook.co. All right, let's get back to the show. Hey guys, and welcome back to Building a Family Business here on Builder Funnel Radio, joined by Wes and Brooks. Brooks, how's it going today? Fantastic, Spence. Thanks for asking. How are you doing? Doing good. A little less sleep today, but that's to be expected. We had a stretch of good nights and we hit hit a rough one. So <laughs> yeah, Wes, how, how are you doing? Yo, yo, Spence. Yo, yo. Yeah, that's, uh, that's my first son, Carter. His, that's how he says yogurt, so... You know, I guess you're, you're, you're working down to his level there. <laughs> I know, I know. Hook, yeah. hook up the yo-yo. He's definitely uh, yo-yoing on the yogurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fro- fro-yo for frozen yogurt, right? So That would be more my speed. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big ice cream guy, so we'll work on it. Right now it's snowing, so maybe we'll wait a few months. <laughs> at least a day. Yeah, at least a day. Well, at the time of, of this recording, I think it's, this will come out after Thanksgiving, but we're right right before Thanksgiving. So I figured we'd uh, switch gears a little before we get into our topic. And uh, Brooks, what are you grateful for this week? Well, that's a good question. You know, I'm grateful for a lot of things, but one thing I'm kind of consistently grateful is that at the property management company, we've got a great team that's just been doing a phenomenal job, you know, battling COVID and uh, just, I mean, every day it's, you're just grateful that they're just doing a great job. So constantly grateful for that. And of course, Spencer, I'm always grateful for you. Oh, well, thank you, Brooks. I appreciate that. I'm grateful for you as well. (laughs) How about you, Wes? What are you grateful for this week? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I I think I'm going to have to uh, step outside and clean up my shoes. Uh, (laughs) Hey, this this is coming from my heart. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Well, I guess what I'm really thankful for. No, I, 
I would have to second what Brooks said about our property management company. I couldn't be more thrilled with the job that they're doing. They're just fantastic. Fantastic job. Great, great people and hearts in the right place and they work super hard. And so we're su- certainly blessed with a, a great team there. Other things I'm grateful for, of course, family and, and friends if I had any, but certainly <laughs> certainly family. <laughs> you can just say family if you don't have any friends. <laughs> you don't have to take well, it down the dark side. <laughs> like friends and family. This is a gratitude section, Wes. <laughs> Just kind of flowed out. So then I realized I had to backtrack, you know. Just, yeah. Hey, Mal, can you edit that part out? Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> Just leave it in there. It's fine. You know? <laughs> so, no, I do enjoy our time. So we get together here on the podcast. It's a lot of fun. Anyway, but I am definitely grateful for family for sure. Awesome. Well, yeah, I've been, I've been thinking about it a lot. Because Rachel and I, we do three gratitudes every night before we go to bed. And I think a lot of people think about you know, gratitude and what they're thankful for this time of year. But I think it's a good thing to spend some time on all year round. Yeah, I'll second you guys, you know, super grateful for family, you know, especially, you know, just thinking about this year, like just having support from lots of different angles and, you know, with just all the the changes that have gone on. It's it's nice to have that, you know, support and be able to to lean on some people. Also super grateful to just have our our second son come into the world and he's doing good, even though he's stealing my sleep but you know it's such a such a worthwhile trade-off so we, now we've is been... that son number one or son number two that's really stealing your sleep well that's a great question right now it's son number two well i should say last night son number one likes to wake up after a few hours and now he comes over to our door and then he just plops down there and sleeps there the rest of the night so we just <laughs> great you know if you're getting sleep and then last night yeah. he opened the door was just like halfway in between just conked out and then teddy's crying it like two feet from him he's just sawing logs you know no problem you you know it might be that your carter is a den animal and he may just like to be in your den and so he may that's you know so he might be like could be yeah we did call him carter bear and so maybe that's maybe he just picked up on that and embraced it when all our kids were little we lived you guys know we were living in that little attic and we had just a separation of like a wall but no doors or anything so there was five of us in a i don't know 12 by 20 area and and, the kids got used to sleeping in the same room for a long time just because that's what we had yeah well we were talking before we hit record that humans are just really good at adapting and so it's like oh this is the environment you just adapt and keep moving forward so just step over them when you leave the room (laughs) <laughs> yep exactly <laughs> that was the first time we did that last night i was like well this is kind of funny but oh well he's still sleeping so <laughs> we'll yeah, I'd be like, here's, yo, here's the uh here's your second mattress this is yeah. your second second part of the night yeah exactly <laughs> get started over here and uh close it out on the second mattress that's right yeah <laughs> yeah so i guess uh for everybody listening hopefully this encouraged you to take a minute and just think about what you're grateful for and uh think you know, all three of us tend to be pretty positive of people, but when things get tough and there's trying times, I think it's even more important. You kind of double down on on gratitude and you can always control your attitude and how you move forward. But today we're not going to spend an hour talking about gratitude, even though that probably would be worthwhile. We're going to shift gears and talk about how to make decisions with shared family assets. And I think we've touched on this topic in, in a previous episode, but 
this was something that came up. I think Brooks, you had been researching some of the family business topics. Remind me the group that you uh, that oh, you family follow. business consulting group. Yeah, yeah, they, they do a great job. You know, they're fully engaged in you know helping people. Uh, we've never worked with them. I just they have great content. Yeah, and this was one of their topics that you know they mentioned and. As we were thinking about, it, I was like, "Well, yeah, we actually got a lot of different scenarios going on with different, you know, ownership and and that sort of thing." So, Brooks, I guess to kind of set the stage, maybe what's kind of a a project that we can dig into that you know you're part owner, whether it's majority or minority, and then we can kind of go from there. Well, I mean, there's I, we're partners, and we have similar partnerships to you know that Wes has. The we're partners with my brother and his wife. And so that's a 50-50 partnership. Okay. And we're um, those are held in all those, and those are real estate assets held in an LLC. And we're co-managers. And we um, in that situation, either of us can you know make decisions. And that's one situation. Another situation, we're minority partners in a some other real estate LLCs where we're only you know nine percent and with our other siblings and uh our parents are the majority owners. And so those are two different scenarios and you operate differently depending on, you know, where you sit in the, uh, in the pecking order you know, of, uh, of the decision matrix. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I think for people listening, it will kind of walk through the different examples and kind of how you operate and how you act when you are a majority owner, even, or minority, I guess I'm, let's start with the 50, 50. That's an interesting one. Cause I feel like I guess how how has that worked? And I would imagine you have to have a high level of trust in a 50-50 partnership where either oh, side can, yeah, can make the call the shots, right? Yeah, I mean for sure you're I think you have to have a super high level of trust. You have to understand everyone's roles. Like in our situation, my wife does all the bookkeeping for those partnerships and reports out once a month on that, you know, but she's running all the money. So yeah, you have to have a high level of trust in people's decision-making ability and and how you know they're, how they're going to handle the money you know for the the LLC and a lot of dialogue, so a lot of communication for sure about what you're going to do. We had a meeting yesterday, our monthly steering meeting, and one of the discussions was, hey, we've got two or three rentals coming up for release. We're taking some vacancy due to COVID. And it's like, well, you know, should we sell one of these and bolster our reserves? You know, so some good discussions around, well, you know, hey, it'll be paid off in a few years. Do you hang on to it? You know, cash flow is going to be much greater. Or do you you sell it now, take some of the cash, bolster the reserves, you know, or take some of the cash and spend it? You know, that's always, you know, that's another option. Sure. So keeping everybody aligned on what their their goals are takes a lot of discussion and then takes a lot of acknowledging, well, what would, you know, what would each individual like to do? And then blending that. And in our situation, we tend to go with the person that feels the strongest about that issue. And so, and, and we change it depending, like if it's taking risk, if I felt the strongest about taking all the risk, we don't take that necessarily. We take the reverse, which is if someone says, hey, I don't want to take that much risk. So we take that. So you're taking the conservative end of whichever... Right. Yeah. And some things you could be like this selling, a, selling a rental for us is, you know, either answer could be good because you're making a bunch of assumptions. You're like, well, it'll go up in value in nine, in nine years, you know, it'll be worth this, the cash flow will be this. 
you're, you're assuming everything's kind of going to take this, this path, which we don't know versus you take a sale today. You're like, you know, exactly what you got out of it. None of us really know what, what was right or wrong till you get nine years out or whatever date you pick to. So that's how we, we just dialogue a lot about it. And, you know, one of our uh, key tenets, you know, one of our uh, core values is seek to understand and it's seeking to understand what that other person wants and trying to be, have the humility to be like, well, I don't agree with that, but it, if that's what's important to them, then that's okay. Cause you're going for the greater good. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, I think you guys have mentioned communication a lot, but I guess, you know, especially in a 50, 50 situation, I like that you kind of hearing what everybody wants to do. And then you kind of balance the strong feeling or maybe the more conservative approach. Cause you guys have decided, Hey, we're going for the everybody sleeping at night approach probably, you know, by going the, the lower risk route. Is that right? Yeah. That's why we have the second bed. Cause if you wake <laughs> up after the first thing, then you might have to go to, you know, like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. And, and I feel like in, in a previous conversation where we were talking about buying a business, so not necessarily a rental asset like this, which is a, is a business in and of itself, but you guys kind of talked about trying to really think about that control piece. Um, and so in this scenario, you knew you were 50-50, and so you have to put in all these other, like, hey, everyone's going to be communicating, everyone's going to be willing to listen, like I like the tenant, and then you're going to compromise, and you've kind of decided how those compromises will roughly shake out. So you kind of have some guidelines, it sounds like, within you know each situation where you can go, okay, we're going to hash it out, but then we're going to lean on these kind of core values or guidelines. Yeah, and that's what we've done. And that's, you know, that's over 20 years. I mean, when we first started together, it was just Todd and my brother Todd and myself, and we, would, we were running a business. Both Julie and Heather were busy full-time at home and, and working part-time other jobs. And so Todd and I made all the decisions. We had to work it out between the two of us. And then during the recession, when everything really got bad, all of a sudden, Julie and Heather are working in the business, engaged in the business. So we had to open up that decision matrix to the four of us and figure out how that was going to how that was going to work. So you know, evolution definitely. But I'd say if you're in a business and you have partners, I think, and you're in things, even if things are going okay, I'd, I'd challenge people to go back and think about how do we communicate, how do we make decisions, how, you know, what would be a better way. Because there's always a better way. I would say that the way that Todd and Julie and Brooks and Heather do our stuff is it's okay, but it could be better too. You know, it could be way worse, but I think you know we're close. But I think you can always challenge yourself to how can we do a better job. I like what Brooks is saying. I think maybe where he's getting at is is the development of the system of how you're going to work together. And I think spending a lot of time on that system up front is pretty helpful. So how are we going to make decisions? How often are we going to meet? You know, all those types of things where you know, it's just like knowing when you get out of bed in the morning, that's, you know, whatever time it is, you're going to go work out at that time. And that's just your system, right? It could be a good workout, could be a bad workout. Same thing with your partnerships is what's our system? How do we communicate? Well, we meet every month or we meet every two weeks and it's for this long and here's the agenda and here are the things we're going to cover. And so you just kind of hash all that stuff out amongst your partners. And then the key is just sticking with it. And you'll find that it bears a lot of fruit. And that will probably end up being a pretty good partnership because it gives you 
I think one of the things that can happen is if you don't have regular meetings, if you don't have a structure, then a partner can start wondering, well, gosh, I mean, I'm concerned about something. Will that ever be heard? You know, are people ignoring me? You know, am I being slighted in some way? And so, and all that can kind of build up in the background and then come out in, in a bad way later, or maybe in a, in a bigger way than it needed to. Whereas if you know, you're always going to have an outlet in a forum to talk about things, then it works pretty well. You're like, well, Hey, we can go out for pizza tonight, you know, with family, because I know I can talk about that business issue, <laughs> that partnership thing next week, whenever we have our meeting. Yeah, yeah. it was a great point because you're, and depending on how fractious things are or how smooth things are determines probably the intensity of meetings. If, you know, if you're trying to work through a big deal or a, you know, an acquisition or something that, you know, that has a, a separate track all to itself, but you may need to have, if you're meeting once a month, which I would recommend as kind of a minimum with your partners, you may say, hey, we need to meet once a month on our regular stuff, but you know, we've got this big transaction we're trying to pull off. We should meet weekly on that to make sure everyone's in the, on the same page because whoever's leading the charge on that, on that acquisition or whatever that is, they're assimilating all this stuff and they're, and they're moving forward in the transaction and everyone else is, is left wherever the last meeting was at. You know, so a lot can happen in 30 days, or if you meet, I think, Wes, I don't know, what do you think? I think quarterly is too long. I agree. Quarterly is too long. I mean, you know, Spencer and I and Karen and, and Rachel are in an LLC together and we meet monthly. And I think for us, that's, and Spencer can certainly pipe in on, on this one. He may have a different opinion, but I feel like the monthly is a pretty good, pretty good pace. I mean, for us, I think more than once a month would just be too much. You know, there's not enough different things going on all the time that would require all the owners to. to if you were, but if you said if you were doing a transaction, let's say you were trying to do an. Oh, yeah, then then we yeah definitely I can see absolutely you could meet once a week or once every two weeks depending on the velocity of the yeah. the transaction that you're looking at. But if things are kind of status quo and you're operating, I think once a month is good. You can review all your statements. You can talk about anything that's related to that. You know, if you have employees, you can talk about you know any personnel issues. If there are any, you can talk about the market. You can talk about you know just draw that out of all the partners so they can so everyone has a good understanding where everyone is on that particular day and month. Yeah, I think that's good advice. And yeah, when you when you hit a big decision time frame or I guess decision point with something, then you're going okay. We might ramp up the communication because you might dedicate one of those meetings. To only that, whereas that monthly one, you're kind of covering a, a slew of different items. And we've certainly done that, you know, throughout this year too, where we've just kind of said, okay, we need to work through this. Let's, you know, carve out some time where we're just going to dedicate it to that. And I think that's a good way to go because if you put it as, if it's big enough, if you just make it part of your regular agenda, either people are tired by the time you get to it, depending on when you do your meetings. If, you know, if you're doing your meetings at night because everyone's working during the day or, you know, depending on what time of day you do it. Having that separate meeting that's just focused on something will be more effective and you can kind of blast through it and, and be done with it. Let's shift over to kind of a different scenario. That was the 50-50. You know, you guys both mentioned your minority partners in um, some different projects. I guess, Wes, how does that shift this at all? Or is it the same? You know, is everything approached the same as the 50-50? Well, no, I, things aren't approached the same as the 50-50. And I think it depends on 
So, you know, Brooks and I are part of a number of different projects where we're minority partners and we have other minority partners and, and one majority partner. So really the pacing is set by the majority partner. And as a minority partner, your input is really how you can kind of lead from behind, I guess, in a way. So let's say your majority partner doesn't believe in regular meetings, but you do. And your job as a minority partner is to talk to your other minority partners and see if you can get some agreement around that. And then see if you can use your powers of persuasion (laughs) to get your majority partner to that point where you think it might be a better operating framework. But it's always tough as a minority partner because you really don't, you don't have a leg to stand on typically. And being a minority partner can be fine. If you're a minority partner in a business or a project or something, you don't know anything about it, you know, and it's just, and you're receiving cash flow or some other, you know, part of that, something from that partnership, you may be very comfortable with just saying, hey, I trust the majority partner. I'm just going to let that go. I'm not going to be involved. But if you're not, then you have to think about, can I exit that that project or partnership? And because I want to control my assets or my portion of that asset, I want to take the resources from that and invest it in something that I can control. So a lot of it has to do with your own personal makeup. What's your personality profile? Are you passive or aggressive? Or a lot of it has to do with how good of a job the majority partner is doing and how good of a job they do of communicating. But once again, I think Brooks will back this up. There's no, since you don't have any authority, then you just have to work on your persuasion skills. You need to make your case. You have to prove it. And then if that's not working, then you have to see if there's a way you can exit because otherwise, what you'll see, I mean, you hear about this in some, you know, big old family businesses, you'll read about them in the news where, you know, you'll have family members that are suing other family members because they don't like the way things are going, but they're minority shareholders or, you know, something like this. It's very, what was that show? A Dallas, <laughs> you know, like Dallas, but you don't want to get there. You know, you don't want to be in that situation. You don't, so, so don't go there and you know, don't, don't become an emotional burden on everybody else in the partnership and, and walk around stamping your feet. Just figure a way to gracefully exit that partnership. That, that, that would be my advice. I mean, I don't know, Brooks, what do you think? Oh, I totally agree, which is I think any, you know, because everybody starts out in partnership, typically they could have been placed in it be just through a family dynamic. They might have, you know, have some shares in a company. But hopefully, when you create any kind of LLC or company, you provide exit exit strategies for people that can exit, and and hopefully it's an, as unemotional as possible. Which is, you know, it just isn't working for me right now. You know, I, I thought it would work out to work together. It's not, so I'd like to exit. And hopefully, having the maturity to exit, you know, and just say, hey, just this isn't working, and everybody agrees that, especially if they're related, they can say, okay, we understand that. And, you know, sorry to see you go. And, and that's okay. So it has to come from, you know, because for certainly as a parent, if you have a child exit a business that you thought they were going to be part of, that's, that's hard, you know, as a child to exit a business, you feel bad because you're exiting the business that your parent, you know, wanted you to be a part of, you know, or if you're siblings and you're like, you know, we just have different business profiles. We shouldn't be working together. You know, so we can maintain that family relationship. You know, that's pretty, that's hard to thread that needle. 
The more time I spend in the marketing business, the more I realize that marketing isn't just about your website, signage, social media, and print collateral. Marketing really sits across every part of your business. It starts with your brand, your signs, your website, but it continues on through the sales process. How you present yourself and your company on a sales call incorporates marketing. And just as importantly, how you deliver your service to your client is marketing. The feelings that they have in the middle and the end of the project are big factors in determining whether they will spread the word about you. At the end of the day, marketing across the entire customer lifecycle is really tough. That's why I love what BuildBook is up to. They've been working hard to bridge those gaps and solve those problems. Their new tools start on the marketing side, continue into the sales conversation, and finish with the project. Get these three elements working together and your business will be humming along. Happy clients, more profits, less stress. If you're aiming for the trifecta of the construction business, head on over to buildbook.co to try it free for yourself. That's buildbook.co. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, it seems like it would be. And especially, you know, as you were talking about, you know, obviously as a minority share owner, you don't have, I think Wes, you said, don't really have a leg to stand on. You don't have that authority. And if things are going well, that may or may be fine, you know, because like you said, you might be getting a check or whatever it is, but it seems like you actually have a lot of risk as a minority shareholder, because if things are not going well, you don't maybe get to influence any decision-making and maybe you're having to actually put more and more cash into the project. Potentially, yeah. Potentially, yeah. I I guess that was what jumped out to me as you guys were kind of outlining that is like, well, yeah, things are going well, then maybe some of these are like, inconveniences, you wish things were different, but you can't control. But man, if things are not going well, that could probably cause a lot more tension. And if there's not a good way to exit, like you said, Brooks, then you're kind of, I mean, are you just stuck? Yeah, I think most of the time you're stuck. I mean, I think that's why I end up like Wes's example, people end up suing each other. Well, there's a couple of things. Probably it's just, it could be hard to exit. It's not set up very well. Or what I, my guess is most of the time is that the exit requires you to take such a haircut that you don't like it. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're in a deal, in a family project, it's just recognize, hey, for me to exit this, there's going to be a haircut. It's totally different than owning a, you know, a stock or a, you know, a stock, which is like, well, I don't like what Under Armour is doing today. So I'm going to sell my stock and you just sell it for whatever, you know, usually in a family business, there's going to be discounts and, uh, it's going to be expensive to exit. And you'll have, if you thought, oh, I have a $2 million asset here. And you know, by the time you get out of there, it'll probably be a million. Just re- recognizing, well, that's just the cost of me to get someplace where I can be in a healthier environment, perhaps. And I think that the reason that that haircut is involved is because it's a limited marketplace for yeah. that, for your interest. So as, as Brooks would point out, you know, if you're on E-Trade, it's no problem, you know. Sell it, sell it in two minutes. But if your only buyer is other people within the partnership and, and that's the way the partnership is written, that you need to sell to your other partners, then that can get contentious. And you know, you just got to recognize that it's got to work on both sides because if for the folks that are staying in the partnership, if they have to buy your interest out, so depending on the amount of cash required and everything else, that can be a big burden on that particular partnership. Especially if you're going, well, I want to exit the partnership because I don't like the way it's being run because I don't think it's <laughs> producing the way it should produce. And then you say, 
And now I want you to pay me top dollar for it. And they're going, well, it's not going that well. <laughs> so I'm not going to be able to pay you top dollar. Can I pay you, you know, 50 cents on the dollar or over time? <laughs> over, over time. Yeah, I'm going to put that on the note. There's just a lot of things that go on there. So I think it it goes better if you can take a dispassionate view about all these things. Recognize that a lot of the because it's, you know, especially if it's family, then you can get very emotional about it. Oh, yeah. You know? Like, you know, if I'm dealing with Brooks and uh, it's, am I really arguing with Brooks because I don't agree with his viewpoint or it's because the fact that he, you know, trashed my 10 speed when <laughs> we were 10 or something. Still so, better about that, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that just came <laughs> up quick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Back, baby. <laughs> another story for another time. <laughs> So I think some self-awareness is pretty helpful in recognizing that these situations come up all the time in all family businesses. It's more of a structural thing than anything else. It's not a personality thing. So if you can view it from that standpoint, taking a step back and being a little bit less emotional about it, you know, your family relationships will do better and uh, you'll be able to work through these things a little bit easier. So what would be kind of takeaways if somebody's thinking about going into a partnership where they are going to be a, a minority owner? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Would you do it? Yeah. I, I just, yeah. I mean, now that I'm the thing, you know, you guys are going through this, I'm going, I mean, you really got to have a lot of trust in the majority shareholder well, owner. I think it, it feels would like. You go in, I think it's an interesting question, Spence, because would you go into something as a minority owner and probably most likely a lot of people wouldn't, but you might end up in a situation where you're a minority. That's kind of how, you know, Wes and I ended up, you know. So That's fair. Yeah. Not, not necessarily fair. something you actively decided. It kind of just evolved and then suddenly yeah, it, you're there. We ended up in these ownership positions through, you know, our relationship with our parents and the jobs we took, you know, deferred income, deferred compensation, stuff like that. So you end up here and that's good. I would say if you're, if you're looking at something, You'd say, well, I could do that. The minority ownership interest, you know, have a limit to what your liability is from a capital contribution standpoint. Don't have it be all your eggs in this basket because your stress level is going to go through the, the roof. But if it's something that's part of your income stream or part of your future, but it's only 80, per, you know, 20% of it, or, you know, your stress level is going to come way down because you're controlling 100% of the rest of your outcomes. Good point. Yeah. Wes, would you add any? Any thoughts on the minority ownership piece? People, most people go into business for themselves and quit a, a regular job is because they do want to reduce their stress level and the stress level when I don't know when my employer is going to, you know, hand me a pink slip or something. So if I work for myself, I'll always have control over that. And so in a minority situation, minority ownership situation, you're back in that situation where somebody else is calling the shots for you and that portion of your investment. So to Brooks's point, if, if it's just a small part of your income, then you're not too worried about it. It's like, and so the way I always try to look at minority interests is they could be gone tomorrow. So try not to make that the, the bulk of your income because you really don't have any control over it and you will be super stressed. <laughs> if that is the bulk of your, your income. So, but I think if you have, if you have control over, well, just think about it. I mean, if, if someone said, if, would you actively go to somebody else and say, Hey, I want to go into a partnership with you. I would like to be a minority shareholder. I'll put in a bunch of money 
Uh, you know, you I don't have any right. Shots. I don't, you know, I don't trust anything that I'm doing. You know, you probably wouldn't do that, right? I mean, sure. So if that's the case, you're typically are only going to end up in minority shareholder situations where either you know how you're going to get to majority or you were received this minority partnership share because that was the only way that you could be compensated for what you were doing or, or, you know, or it was a gift or, you know, there's lots of different ways you could end up with a minority partnership. That's an interesting point. I guess I hadn't thought about it that way, but you probably either just end up in as a minority shareholder or you're buying in and the goal is to get to majority, which is, I think, a common path. But the other way, if you're just kind of staying a minority shareholder for a while or indefinitely, those situations usually just come up, not necessarily something you say, yes, like, let's go into this partnership where I'm going to be the minority. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think we're really, we're, you know, when you're talking about being a minority shareholder, as we're talking about it, you probably ended up as a minority shareholder through inheritance or, you know, some gifting or something like that. And recognizing what can you do best to support that, that partnership, that business as a minority shareholder, maybe you do things like, you know, you're like, Oh, it seems like, they're challenged by this. Maybe you just stay current on the industry and pass on different ideas. Different. Oh, I read this article. Thought you might find it interesting. And you're not really trying to sway anything. You're just trying to be supportive of that business. If you decided to to stay in it, versus being a drag on the business, which is just complaining about everything. And and uh, you know. So how can you be a positive contributor? As yeah, a, yeah, that's a great point, Brooks. I'd written down here before we started this. You know, under minority ownership persuasion skills and then and then prove it in the sense that if you've got a position, don't just say, well, this is my position. You know, do do your due diligence and as Brooks was saying, you know, do your research and go out there and become educated and, and see if you can be a positive force for good within that that partnership and give something back to that partnership, even though you're a minority shareholder. It'll it'll help everybody. Yeah. yeah, good good point. Because yeah, I mean, you're in it. You might as you want it to go well for everybody, yeah. you know. So you might as well, yeah, help support it. Well, let's flip it around. Let's say you know you're the majority shareholder with you know one or two or three minority shareholders. You know, Brooks, I guess. How do you recommend that people approach that? Obviously, you've got the the control, but you've got other people involved, and so you're trying to be, I'm assuming, supportive of you know them too. But they also they don't necessarily have that, you know, power and, and decision-making? Well, yeah, I think it was a good question because I think it goes to leadership, which is, and it may come from, let, let's say that you ended up as a majority owner and you have, and just through, you know, inheritance and in life and you ended up, and you have minority partners also. And, and then maybe they all, so maybe everybody's ended up here through, it's been passed down from one generation to another, but somehow you ended up as a majority owner. And so I think that takes being very enlightened and very and compassionate and operating with humility and saying, okay, how can I be the best majority owner leader that I can be and treat those minority owners with, with compassion and caring and, and lifting them up as you go along. So the more collaborative you can be while everyone understands you make the final decision, I think that's you know, I think you end up, everybody's happier. Yeah, I agree. If you walk around carrying the big stick and, um, you know, well, I get to call the shots and just that that's not a good situation. 
might work great for business, but if you're in a family business, it's, it's, it'll destroy your family relationships. Right. Exactly. Well, and to your last point, you certainly won't really get people thinking, oh, how can I support this? Like, here's some research I did or here, you know, there's, yeah. you know, they're not going to do like, anything. Well, I'm stuck in this relationship. It's not going to go well for me. I have no input. So I'll just, you know, exit stage right and collect my check. I think every, you know, everybody knows who the majority owner is and the majority stakeholder. So it really doesn't have to be said. So if you are the majority stakeholder, you don't have to say it. Everybody knows it. So try to be humble and get that input from your minority shareholders who said that you're, you know, the best thing that ever came along in terms of managing something. So I think all good leaders really look to to everybody else and go, okay, who, who can I draw on? Who can I look to, to help me do the best job possible as a leader of this enterprise? And um, so if you can do that, then your minority partners will be a lot happier to have had input. And, you know, they say in leadership, you know, part of it is just if everyone feels like they were heard, but they also recognize that it's not a consensus decision, you know, but I am going to hear what everyone has to say. I'm going to consider it. And then I'm going to have to make a decision and I will make it because not everyone may be in agreement, but at least their viewpoint was heard and considered and they recognize the fact that you're going to move ahead with what you think is best as the majority shareholder. And as the majority shareholder, you have the biggest risk too. So there's something to be be said for that. Yeah, it's an interesting point, Wes, because a lot of times in big big company, the CEO gets the final say and they may you know get buy-in from other people or they might just say this is the way it is. But they don't have the ultimate risk that in these small family businesses where the majority shareholder is carrying most of the risk. And I think most people recognize they're carrying the risk, so you don't have to say it, but it makes it a different decision. Whereas the CEO of a big public company, like, well, this is what we're doing. And the risk to them is relatively low. Whereas that majority shareholder of a small business is like, oh, well, I'm taking all the risk. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Well, and it seems like, you know, just hearing you guys talk through this, it's so much, you know, there's tactics that you give along the way, like do this or do that, but it feels like, it's a lot about self-awareness of, I mean, yourself, so self-awareness, but awareness of the situation and just being able to recognize, oh, this is the situation this person's in, this person, you know, we've got four or five people involved and then just heightened communication across the board. And if you get those two things right and you can kind of remove a little bit of the emotion or a lot of the emotion, then it feels like you'll make positive progress. I guess, Wes, would you agree with that? Or is, did I miss like a critical piece there? But if, if you get those two right? No, I think you're correct. Yeah, I think you've, you've stated that well. You've got to remember that you're talking about family relationships, which are always challenging regardless. Now let's throw some money in there. Okay. Now it's going to get exciting. Because everyone's <laughs> get, relationship- It's going to be spicy. <laughs> but it gets spicy. Everyone's relationship with money is different. Wes and I took a money survey thing. I just- oh, we saw in the Wall Street Journal, everyone's got a different relationship with money and everyone has different desires for money. And if, if some of their cash flow is coming out of these partnerships and, you know, if someone's rolling big and they've got plenty of money, they're going to be like, yeah, whatever. You know, but if things are tight at home, you know, the money that's coming out of these partnerships could be really critical. And so their emotions are going to be much, you know, much more at the surface. And so it's understanding that. 
Did you learn anything interesting from the survey? I'm thinking maybe we should drop it in the show notes for people if they want to, you know, take oh, it. Oh, it's that's interesting. I'm trying to, I can see if I can find it. Uh, I've got, I've got yours printed out, Wes. I've like, I've analyzed it. I mean, you've got some issues, but you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah break it down. Break it down. <laughs> it's, your, it's called your mental wealth advisor and it's called your money script. So I guess mm. it's script like a script in a play. Sure. And I think it's, I think it's based on a much, you know, it's a very clinical sort of. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a very clinical study. We're, we're seeing. Yeah. You know, it'd be kind of like personality profiles. Some of these ones are developed at different universities. So I think yep. this one is based on on one of those profilings. It was, uh, yeah. And so uh, it's pretty interesting. So there may be other sources, but I would recommend, yeah, this one was really easy. It took like three or four minutes. It's, right. I forget they ask you 30 or 40 questions. 30, 33 questions. You either strongly yeah. agree or disagree. And that kind of right. a scale of one to six. Right. And then it, uh, then it ranks you on. Well, now that we're on it, <laughs> yeah, but basically it, it ranks you how you are around money worship, they call it, <laughs> money avoidance, money status, and money vigilance. I think it ties in. We talked about a book a couple of weeks ago, too. It's on the, um, uh, Brooks, what's that one? Psychology of money. Psychology of money. And I think it ties into that idea, which is money is a very emotional thing. It's a, it's. And it's really not this cut and dried thing that we always think of it as being. So we use money in so many different ways other than just to buy goods and services. And we use it a lot to decide how we feel about ourselves and how we think about others and how we feel about the world and all those kinds of things. So I, I think it's worthwhile for partners to figure out how they all feel about money and um, how they approach money. It, it, this would be a good one to do yeah. in a partnership for sure. sure. You know, especially if you get your majority partner to do it because you have a, better, some better insights. And, you know, yeah, you might that's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. I'll snag that link from you guys and we'll, we'll drop it in the show notes. Yeah, it's um, fun to do. It's a good thing if you're waiting at, you know, your kid's soccer game or something like that. It's something easy right. to do. I'm going to have Heather take it just to see, you know, because I think I understand how she thinks about money. Yeah. It'll be fun to see that, see how she does Yeah, I'm going to do the same thing with Karen and have her take it. We had uh, Todd took it. Our, our brother Todd took it. And, I have to ask him to shoot it over. I haven't sent him so, mine. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's fun to talk about those things and yeah. you know in a warm, supportive environment. Maybe over <laughs> a warm cinnamon roll and a hot cocoa. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Brooks is still rubbing it in. He's uh, flashing cinnamon rolls on the the video. So yep. <laughs> while we're here in Colorado and it's snowing and we have zero cinnamon rolls, so. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sad, sad thing. So sad, so sad. Yeah. Oh, we ended on grat or we started on gratitude, so we had to end in, in sadness, you know. <laughs> all right, Brooks. Well, let's let's wrap up today. I guess as, as we talk through all these different scenarios, what what are kind of some key takeaways for you through this discussion? I think try to whether you're a majority partner, a 50-50 partner, minority partner, just try to be the best partner you can be. Good advice. Wes, can you can you top that, or what would you add to that? Well, I would just add to it. And say, you know, <laughs> I can never yeah. just be the best partner. Yep, we'll leave it at that. Partner, yeah. <laughs> Sage advice. Be, yeah. Yeah. Put that on a T-shirt. Yeah. So now, now I, I thought I had a great suggestion. Now I've just been bashed into the ground. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah, be the, yeah, be the best podcast uh, partner that you can be. <laughs> I guess uh, what I would add to that, though, being the best partner you can be means be educated, yep. show up, 
do your research, get input, receive input, you know, in a, in a rational way, as rational as we can possibly be, and uh, recognize there's lots of different viewpoints out there in the world, and, and yours isn't the only right one. So that, I would just add that to being as being part of being the best partners. Yeah, a, better, a better description. Those are good things about, you know, and be, uh, be gracious. Yeah. Hard, uh, that, that for me, that's a hard thing to be. So I, you know, something I gotta work. <laughs> hey, on. you know what? It's easy to be a jerk. We've all been jerks at different times. Yeah. It's not a good place to be. No. Yeah. A- actually, I have a little thing on my, um, in my office. It's about being a lowercase jerk with a lowercase J and it's about having the, the tough conversations telling people, you know, where they need to improve, but not being, you know, a real jerk about it. So maybe I'll, I'll share that. It'll make more sense if you read it. I'll put no, that in the show notes. I've seen that, that Spencer. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, <laughs> well, cool. Well, good takeaways. And uh, as always, guys, thanks for listening to us here on building a family business. Here at Builder Funnel Radio, probably as you're listening, we're just crossing 100,000 downloads. So thank wow. you guys for uh, your support. Thank you for leaving us a review sharing it with a friend. We hope that these conversations are insightful, are helpful, at the very least, just make you think a little bit more about all these things. Hopefully that helps you move forward in a productive way. So thanks again for listening. We'll see you back here next week on Building a Family Business on Builder Funnel Radio.